0: The text for this morning's sermon is taken from Matthew 5, verse 9. Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So far. The sermon for this morning was prepared by Reverend Poppy, Minister of the Canadian Reformed Church of Coaldale, Alberta. After the reading of the sermon, we will respond with the singing of hymn 38, verses 1 and 2. Beloved Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, This morning we will consider the following beatitude of our Savior's sermon on the mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Once again, our Savior spells out for us what it looks like in real life to be a person who lives by faith. He says that one of the key ways in which it will come out in your life that you are a follower of Jesus Christ is if you are someone who makes peace. I've summarized our text with the words of our text, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We will see, first, who is blessed, and second, how they are blessed. First, who they are. who is blessed. The way to peace. Now, it is important that we pay close attention to what exactly our text is calling us towards here. Our text does not tell us Blessed are those who are peaceful, those who are at rest. Instead, our text is translated quite literally from the original language when it it says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who make peace. The calling of our text is that we be people who contend and strive for, who make every effort to ensure that there is peace in life. So what does that look like in real life? How are we to function in this world as a peacemaker there are a lot of people who seek to promote peace you can give money to any number of international organizations whose stated goal is to promote peace i am sure that many of these organizations do a lot of good in this world but can we say that they are able to achieve peace it does not appear that way the warfare strife and internal conflicts in the middle east Many parts of Africa, Asia, Eastern Europe, and elsewhere in the world have not abated, despite the best efforts of many peace-seeking organizations and nations. And as Christians, that should not surprise us, because the Lord tells us very clearly in his word that peace is not something that can ultimately be imposed from the outside. While it is true that a military force can bring stability to a war-torn country, or a teacher can break up a fight on the playground, these acts in themselves don't bring lasting peace. In order for there to be lasting peace, the people's hearts have to be changed. Our Father clearly spells out the ultimate source of conflict in his word. In Proverbs 10, verse 12, he tells us that hatred stirs up dissension. Peace is destroyed when people hate each other. Similarly, in Proverbs 16, verse 28, we're told, that a perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. Or again, in Proverbs 28, verse 25, it says that a greedy man stirs up dissension. When the Christians of the dispersion were struggling with a lot of brokenness in their churches, James spelled out very clearly for them the reason for that brokenness. He told them in James 2, verse 16, for where you have envy and self-ambition, there you will find disorder, and every evil practice. He addressed the matter a little later in James 4, verse 1 and following. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He pointed out to the churches that the problem they fa- he pointed out to the churches that the problem they faced is that they want things for themselves. They kill and covet. They quarrel and fight. So if you think about it, brothers and sisters. The reason there is brokenness and fighting in this world is because of hatred, anger, greed, gossip, envy, self-ambition, coveting, and quarreling. Man's heart is sinful. That is the ultimate reason why there is so much brokenness and why peace is so elusive. So what does it take to be a peacemaker? Ultimately, it takes a change of heart. The scripture reveals in James 2, that it is only when we have the wisdom that is from heaven that we become peace-loving, considerate, and full of mercy. From Galatians 5, we learn that it is the Holy Spirit who works peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in his children so that they experience real and lasting peace in their lives. What is needed for someone to become a peacemaker is that the Lord must work a change of heart in that person. This shows that ultimately the Lord is the source of all peace. This is how God describes himself in his word. He is a God of peace. Whereas we cause fighting, disorder, and brokenness by our sin, the Lord has taken it upon himself to reestablish peace on earth. And do you know how he does that? By means of his word. That is why the good news of the Bible is called the gospel of peace in Ephesians 6. When God goes When God's word goes out, then the Lord uses that to change the hearts of people to become like himself. Only then is there peace and harmony instead of violence and destruction. It is on account of this power of the word of God that the prophet Isaiah says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, who proclaim peace. Isaiah 52, verse 8. When the word of God goes out, then the basis is laid for real, lasting peace. And the reason the word of God has the power to bring peace is because the gospel of peace focuses on the prince of peace. Romans 5 tells us that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has removed the curse of sin by his death on the cross so that we are at peace with God. He he also establishes peace between us and the people around us. He sends out his Holy Spirit to change us so that instead of living in selfish ambition, greed... Envy and hatred, we become people who are righteous, loving, kind, gentle, and patient, all the attributes we need to live at peace. Jesus Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. Now, this might all seem kind of abstract for everyday life, but Christ spells out in our text what exactly this means for us in a very real way. He says that since we have received peace with God by His work, we are now called also to be peacemakers in our own lives so how do you function in this world as a peacemaker well you could support some international agency promoting peace certainly our military and police forces work to limit the evil that is committed in this world but we do the most to promote peace when we promote the gospel of peace It is when God's word goes out and people hear about the redemptive work of Christ And look to God in faith that a real and lasting peace is secured. It's when people believe the gospel and their hearts are changed that genuine peace is established on earth. Now, in many ways, this is something we are busy with as a congregation, and this is a very good thing. The prayerful and financial support that you give to your minister and also to the elders and deacons who bring God's word to his people in a real way is a real way in which you are a peacemaker. The efforts that are being made in our congregation to reach out to those who haven't heard the gospel are a real way in which peace is promoted. Also, prayerful and financial support that you give towards mission work and the theological college are other vivid ways in which you are peacemakers, brothers and sisters. But then beyond that, there's also the calling to be a peacemaker in our personal interactions with the people around us. Our Father calls each one of us to lay aside the sinful desires and attitudes of our hearts, which cause a great deal of division, instead, and instead to live in such a way that we promote peace and harmony with those around us. In Colossians 3, verse 17, we are called to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To let peace rule in your hearts means that your words and actions are motivated by a desire to promote peace. To be a peacemaker means that you hold your peace when things don't go the way you think things should go. To be a peacemaker means that upholding the peace is more important to you than getting even with people who have said or done things against you. In the words of Ephesians 4, verse 2, it means that you are are completely humble and gentle, patient, and that you bear with each other in love. In the words of Colossians 3, verse 13, it means that you bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other, just as God has forgiven you. It means, in the words of 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, that you don't have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. It means, in the words of James 1, verse 19, that you are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In Romans 12, we are told a whole bunch of things about what it takes to be a peacemaker. We're called to love one another sincerely, to practice hospitality, to not repay anyone evil for evil, not to take revenge on anyone, and to overcome evil with good. If you think about these things for yourselves, brothers and sisters, can you say that you are a peacemaker? Are you humble? gentle, patient, and long-suffering with others? Are you willing to forgive the sins of others that they have committed against you instead of getting back at them or getting even with them? Are you someone who really listens to other people? Do you make sure that you don't get caught up in useless arguments with other people that don't serve any real purpose but only to lead to conflict and division? Do you overcome evil with good and pray for those who have hurt you? If this is your life, then the Lord pronounces his blessing on you. Blessed are the peacemakers. But the flip side is true too. There is no blessing for those who are not peacemakers. If you are not a peacemaker, if you think it's best to hold on to a grudge, to get even with or take revenge on people who have hurt you, if you always get involved in dumb arguments or insist on your own way, if you stir up divisions and build walls between people, then you will not receive the Lord's blessing. In fact, if that is your life, then it shows that you really don't know God, because the Lord is a God of peace. He has taken it upon himself to reestablish the peace after we have destroyed it. Maybe I can just use one biblical example to show how deeply important peace is to our father. Almost immediately after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the church was faced with the thorny problem of having both Jews and Gentiles in one church. We learn from Acts that when the apostles went out, their custom was to first go out first go to the Jewish synagogues and preach the good news to the Jews. And then later they brought the message of salvation also to the Gentiles in those places. This led to real problems because the Jews felt that they had to hold on to many of the customs of their forefathers. Can you imagine the situation from the perspective of a Jewish convert, brothers and sisters? You have just come to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the Messiah, the son of David, the great descendant of Abraham who all your forefathers longed to see. You believe that he is the Christ and put your hope in God. But you're still used to offering your sacrifices. You have been trained from youth to obey the dietary laws and the laws of clean and unclean. You still circumcise the boys that God has given to you. And then all of a sudden, there are some Gentiles who become members of the church. They're a bunch of heathens. Not long ago, they used to worship the emperor. They know nothing of the Old Testament. A little while ago, they were... People who lived an immoral lifestyle, partying and carrying on with the rest of the ungodly world? They come out of the hated Roman Empire, which has persecuted your people so severely for such a long time. And now, all of a sudden, you are brothers and sisters in Christ, and somehow you are supposed to get along? You can understand that it would have been an immense challenge to have unity in the church, not only because of the different backgrounds of these two groups but also because somehow you have to decide where you draw the lines and put the boundaries in terms of what it means to be a Christian. It is very striking to note that this question dominates much of the New Testament. The Lord cares so much about peace for his people that the books of Galatians and Romans are devoted to this one issue. It is a crucial issue in the book of Acts, Ephesians, Colossians, and Hebrews. In his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul had to warn the Jews not to require the Gentiles to be circumcised. He said that if they required this of the Gentiles, they essentially were saying that the way to be saved was by obedience to the law. But ultimately, salvation is through faith in Christ. The theme of the book of Romans is that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, not only for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. The struggle about this matter became so intense that eventually this matter was referred to the church leaders in Jerusalem asking what ought to be done. We're told in Acts 15 that the brothers debated these things long and hard and eventually came to a decision about where the boundary lines should be drawn. Being at peace with others, especially with other believers, is not a little matter. This is the ultimate desire of our Lord. God makes this point clearly in Ephesians 2, verse 14 to 16. There, speaking about the division between Jews and Gentiles, Paul says of Christ, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. God says clearly here that Christ's purpose was to make one man out of the two. His purpose was to destroy the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, and bring all of his people together in one church. The Lord is not content when there is division in the church. One of the central themes of Christ's high priestly prayer of John 17 is that he asked the Father that there may be complete unity and peace among God's people. That is the way he and his Father receive glory. Left to ourselves, there is only division, fighting, and arguing. But God shows his glory by reconciling us to himself and bringing us into unity with, one, with other believers. The Lord is a God of peace, brothers and sisters. That is his glory. Is it any wonder when he says, blessed are the peacemakers? You contribute to his glory when you live in such a way as to bring peace between brothers. One of the great ways you can show God you love him and that you are thankful for his gifts is by doing everything in your power to be at peace with your brothers and sisters in the communion of saints. The task of peacemaking is also a central part of the task of the office bearers. In everything we do, brothers, we have to faithfully administer God's word and rightly handle ourselves so that we are peacemakers among the congregation of Christ. This is one of the central goals, brothers and sisters. Although there is much weakness in our work, when we make decisions in consistory and council, one of the central motives we have in our decision-making is seeking the peace amongst the congregation. The Lord's calling for us to be peacemakers is also the reason why as churches we are busy with the task of reaching out and seeking unity with other faithful churches. The truth of the matter is that the discussions that we have with the United Reformed Churches and with others is hard work. It takes a lot of energy. We don't pursue unity in the first place because we think it's a good idea or because the people who we are reaching out to are such nice people who we would like to know and get, get, like to know better. We pursue unity because Christ wants his church to be united. He calls us to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace and so in obedience and thankfulness to God we pursue this work. Ephesians 4 verse 3. And then it should be clear that we can be busy with this work as a peacemaker with good hope when we handle ourselves personally in such a way as to seek to be at peace and have harmony with other people When we seek the peace of the church, of Jesus Christ, then we can have confidence that our work will not be a waste of time. Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles and brought them together as one church. If he can do that between two groups of people who are so radically different, we can have good hope that he can also accomplish this work among us. Now, this doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that we will see immediate results to our work, but if we are faithful to the calling of the Lord, then he will use that in his church-gathering work. Now, the fact that we are to be peacemakers does not mean that we will never have conflict. The reality of life is that the way to peace is pretty rough at times. When our Savior himself was on earth, he was not always at peace with those around him. The Prince of Peace often had conflict with the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Jewish people, and even his own disciples. Our Lord acknowledged that there would be conflict with others in a rather extreme way when he said that he did not come to bring peace on earth, but division. Since the gospel message lays an ultimate claim on the lives of God's people, it often causes division between those who accept it and those who do not. The gospel is, in fact, the only lawful thing about which there may be division in the church. The only time you are justified in being divided with others is over the gospel. Peacemakers are not people who, in an effort to be nice, are willing to compromise the word of God. They are people who uphold the truth of God's word above all else. They submit themselves to the truth of the gospel and call others to do the same. And if that call causes conflict, then we have to be willing to accept that for the sake of Christ. But then we also have to be honest with ourselves, brothers and sisters. How often does it happen that our conflicts are over the gospel? If we have a conflict in which the gospel is at stake, then God blesses that conflict. That is actually part of peacemaking. But if the division becomes of human pride, our own opinions or ideas, because of impatience, anger, hatred slander then that's not the way it should be that is the way of sin not blessing the lord will condemn those who live this way instead of bringing his blessing down on them do you understand then that none of us could be a peacemaker by our own strength we simply don't have what it takes the good news is that god does not leave us on our own to become peacemakers Christ has secured the gift of peace by his death, and now he works it in us through his Spirit. When we look to him in faith, he works out his peace in our lives. He enables us to be real peacemakers. And when that happens, then we also receive his blessing. That is the promise of our text. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Which brings us to our second point. The results of peace. What does this mean? Fundamentally, the word blessed here means that you rest under God's favor and mercy. Those who who pursue peace will receive the gift of the Lord, looking favorably upon them. And that's not all our text says. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Sons of God. That means that the Lord recognizes those who pursue peace as his own children. A tree is known by its fruits. If you produce a good fruit, if you live at peace with those around you, then clearly you are a branch that has been grafted into Jesus Christ, the vine. You can be assured of your own faith and that you are in fact a child of the Lord if you witness this spirit inside of yourselves. And beyond that, if a person pursues peace with those around him, he is immediately recognized by those around him as a son or a daughter of God. It is not normal to pursue peace. It is not normal for people to be humble, gentle, or to confess their wrongdoings to others. Dealing with others in this manner gives them a profound insight into the nature of God. There is a noticeable difference if a person is ruled by anger or bitterness, or if he is filled with contentment and tranquility. There is a big difference between being critical and judgmental of others or being humble and acknowledging your own faults. Other people will notice if you're weighed down with the burden of unresolved conflict or if your life is free of those burdens. If they are Christians, they will know that it is the Spirit of God working inside you. They will see that you are a son of God. If they are not Christians, they will stand back scratching their heads, wondering what is motivating you. They may even ask you why you ask you why you don't fight back with them. It is a powerful witness when we can be reconciled with other people, brothers and sisters. The Lord will receive much praise and glory. Let us then trust in the Lord and respond to his call to be peacemaking. Pray for that gift in your own life and in the life of anyone with whom you may be in conflict. Ask God to give us a culture of peace in our lives that reflects the power and love of his Son. It is always difficult to reestablish peace after it has been broken. But always remember that the Lord has the power. His grace triumphs over sin. Christ will help us in this through his Holy Spirit. And remember the gift that God has in store for those who pursue peace. Blessed are you who make peace, for you will be called sons of God. Amen.